0: The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to Patreon.com slash The It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's Patreon.com slash The Writer Files. Help us start something special.
1: Rainmaker
0: FM. Welcome back to the Writer Files. I am your host, Kellen Reed, I'm here to take you on another tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of renowned writers. This week, the Hugo winner and multiple New York Times bestselling science fiction author John Scalzi took a break from his whirlwind new book tour to chat with me about The Collapsing Empire the timely importance of great storytelling, and what makes a writer truly great. His wildly popular debut novel, Old Man's War, began as a serialized blog before attracting attention from an agent and editor. Its 2006 publication earned him a Hugo nomination and multiple awards. Since then, he's written dozens of novels, including New York Times bestsellers The Last Colony, Fuzzy Nation, Red Shirts, also a Hugo winner, and Lock In. His work has been translated into over 20 languages, and multiple projects have been an option for film and television. So it's no surprise that the prolific author has been a professional writer since the early 90s. In addition to his award-winning blog, Whatever, John has written freelance journalism, novellas, short stories, a wide range of nonfiction, video games, been a creative consultant for a hit TV series, and remains a critic at large for the LA Times. In 2015, The author signed a multi million dollar deal with Tor Books for 13 titles over 10 years. And the first of those is The Collapsing Empire, a best selling interstellar space opera that's been described as Game of Thrones meets Dune. In part one of this file, John and I discuss how publishing is like giving birth, the secret behind most overnight successes, how a prolific sci fi writer researches ideas, on beating laziness in the author's daily ritual. And the writer's greatest challenge. The Writer Files is brought to you by the all new Studio Press Sites, a turnkey solution that combines the ease of an all in one website builder with the flexible power of WordPress. It's perfect for authors, bloggers, podcasters, and affiliate marketers, as well as those selling physical products, digital downloads, and membership programs. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 200,000 website owners trust StudioPress. Go to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress now. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. And if you're a fan of the writer files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. All right, and we are rolling once again. With a, a an esteemed guest today, Mr. John Scalzi, the acclaimed, prolific New York Times bestselling author, Hugo award-winning science fiction writer, and writer of dozens of novellas, uh, short fiction, nonfiction, journalism. What don't you do, John? <laughs>
1: I don't, I don't
0: do Windows. Oh, you don't do Windows. Okay. Um, well, I'm re- very excited to have you on today. Uh, I understand that your new project, your new fantastic book, The Collapsing Empire, is doing quite well. So it must be an exciting time for you.
1: It's wonderful, actually. It was one of those things where um, you put your baby out into the world and you want everyone to tell you you have a pretty baby. Um, <laughs> and so we've learned that uh, so far... Most people seem to like it. It's shown up on a lot of bestseller lists. It's sold more in its first week than any of my previous books, uh, and we just announced uh, a television deal for it. Oh, so man. things are going great.
0: That's so cool. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it seems like uh, things are working out for you in the uh, the writing department. You've also got this this uh, vastly popular blog. Uh, still, Are you still doing... A column or, or or editor at large for uh, some reviews. Yes, I'm
1: still I'm still a critic at large for the Los Angeles Times as well.
0: Wow, wow! So uh, to say that you're busy would be kind of an understatement. But I understand you've got a, a a weekend off to kind of take a deep breath and take it all in.
1: Yes, the the nice thing that uh, my publisher or tour has learned is that I don't mind going on the road for weeks at a time, but Uh, they do have to send me home after about 10 days. Uh, otherwise I run out of clothes. So, (laughs) yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, you know, to say that, that there's, um, some writing out there by you that, that listeners can find, obviously another understatement because, uh, there's so much out there to find and probably it would seem that the best way to kind of connect with you would be the website. Um, and that's whatever.scalzi.com, am I right? That is correct. Okay, cool. And um, it looks like the tour, the expanding tour um, is yet expanding. Uh, you've got yes. a lot more dates on there. I'm going to try to catch you in Boulder um, coming up uh, later next month. But I will point at that and the website, um, your Twitter. Of course, you are a, uh, a prolific, uh, as, we, as we discussed earlier, a tweeter. I, I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, so Twitter's a good place to to uh, get news from you. So maybe for listeners who kind of aren't familiar with your just fantastic journey from, you know, I mean, I guess you've been a like a freelance journalist since the early 90s, it would seem.
1: Yeah, I started off my very first job uh, out of college was as a uh, film critic for a newspaper in California called the Fresno Bee. And I did that for about five years. And then I left there to go work for AOL, where I was their in-house writer and editor. And I did that for a couple of years. Uh, I've been freelance since 1998. I published my first nonfiction book in 2000 and the first novel in 2005.
0: And that is an amazing story to me also, um, kind of your origins as a, a sci-fi uh, bestselling uh, novelist you know the old man's war which uh won you quite a, quite a few awards and was acclaimed hugo nominated it was your first was your first true novel correct
1: it was the it was definitely the first one published i had written a previous book uh called um agent to the stars which it did eventually get published but i wrote that one as a practice novel and cool. meaning that i had never written one before Wanted to see if I could do it, and so I wrote it. But Old Man's War was the one that I intended to try to sell, uh, and I would have if I hadn't just been so lazy. <laughs> <laughs> what I ended up doing was I put it up on the website because uh, I was like, I could send it out, but then it would take so much time. I have people who will read it here on the website, and that'll be fun. And I put it up, and we serialized it. I serialized it in 2002, a chapter a day um, during the month of December. And then when it was done, I got an email from Patrick Nielsen-Hayden, who was an editor at Tor Books at the time. Uh, He's now associate publisher. And he said, I know you're committed to this whole electronic publishing thing, but I really like your book. Do you mind if I publish it too?
0: Amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I was like, oh, fine. If you must.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and right on. Um, well, since then, you've had some successes. Um, quite a few bestsellers under your belt. Uh, Hugo Award winning. Um, I mean, the list is just uh, impressive. Uh, you know, I'm looking at Red Shirts and Lock In, which is, you know, a more science-based thriller. And all the way now through the, you know, the old man's war, you uh, series and now into this new universe which is fantastic I mean it, you're starting off with a bang um, and I understand uh, you know since then obviously you've s- signed this massive deal with Tor Books uh, in 2015 and, and uh, man um, so you're kind of uh, hitting your stride
1: I guess <laughs> what's really nice about that contract it was a 10 year contract uh, in which I would write uh, 13 books, 10 of them for the adult market and three that are going to be YA. Um, and one of the really nice things about that, either that, you know, aside from the immense vote of confidence that, uh, Tor was giving me, um, was quite frankly, um, it means for the next 10 years until I am, you know, in my mid fifties, um, that I don't have to worry about whether or not the book I'm writing is going to sell. I have to worry about still making them good and readable and interesting because Tor's not going to publish, you know, just me, uh, writing 90,000 words of all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. <laughs> but, um, so long as I is, so long as I, uh, you know, hit my marks and do what I'm supposed to do, uh, in terms of quality, um, I don't have to worry about whether that effort is going to uh, make it out into the eye of the public, or that uh, even if it does get out into the eye of the public, that um, it won't be marketed and advertised, and the people won't find out about it. I, it's an extraordinarily fortunate position to be in. Um, and it's a lot of it was based on, as as you alluded to, um the previous track record. Um, and this is the this is the thing about, you know, hitting one's stride is absolutely we're at a point where uh, things are really taking off, but it's based on uh, a decade's worth of uh, work in in the science fiction and fantasy field. It's that same thing of uh, scratch and overnight success, and you will see uh, years and years and years and years of work you didn't even know was happening.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, congratulations um, on the success of the new book. I understand it's um, the top-selling sci-fi hardcover uh, in the U.S. at the moment. Uh, lots of other good things going on, including that TV deal that you mentioned. So that's exciting. Did you get to, did you get to actually help out? I know that you were, you were actually a, a consultant in another um, sci-fi series um, for the Stargate universe, right?
1: Yes, I was a creative consultant for Stargate universe. And uh, so what that meant was they would send me the scripts um, and then I would tell them every single thing that they were doing wrong. Um, which, which was actually really good because the whole idea of it is, um, you never want to throw out, uh, an audience member from what they're doing, whether you're writing a book or doing a TV series or, you know, a movie, you don't want to give them an opportunity to go, wait, that's not how that would work. That makes no sense whatsoever. Um, so my job was to help them get everybody watching through 60 minutes and over to the refrigerator before they (laughs) would say, wait a minute that didn't that that shouldn't have worked that way but if we got (laughs) you all the way through the episode then you're going to come back for the next one
0: yeah yeah um okay cool well the collapsing empire um which we keep mentioning obviously um has been called uh what what i mean it's a it's a interstellar space opera about a, a an empire teetering on the brink of collapse. I know I'm not doing it justice at all, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, it, I guess book lists that uh, for fans of Game of Thrones and Dune. I mean, it's been compared to uh, all these different fantastic other uh, things, but it's 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 really hard to sum up. But it's really great. I mean, it's really fun reading.
1: Thank you. The, uh, the way that I tell it to people is basically uh, imagine there is a, a way to get from one uh, star system to another faster than light, and it operates basically like a, a river or a uh, ocean current and you can't control it, but you can ride it. Um, yeah. And so you build this empire, uh, you know, or basically around the ports of call. Uh, at you know, along this great river in space, but what happens when just like happens with rivers in the real world, um, that river changes its riverbed, and all of a sudden, all the ports that you've created, all the civilization that relies on this uh, thing, um, they are they are left away from uh, they're left away from that river. that's basically what's going on. It's a question of we have taken for granted as we so often do, uh, certain natural features of the world in which we exist. And we assume that they are always going to be uh, that way. Um, But in fact, uh, nature and the universe um, isn't actually uh, interested in our wants, needs, or desires. It's going to do what it's going to do. Um, And when that happens, as it happens in this book, um, how do the people who are living uh, in those cities, in those ports of calls, in those star systems, um, how are they going to respond to that? And the answer is, uh, in the book, some people plan, some people panic, and some people deny. Again, strangely, uh, like uh, what happens in the real world.
0: <laughs> well, pretty timely stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, it's a cool book, so uh, listeners should uh, seek it out if they haven't already found it. Um, yeah, that'll be interesting uh, also to see on... on. Uh, on the small screen. Hopefully it makes it to the big screen someday too. That'd be
1: pretty cool. So way that I tell people about that is believe it will happen when you actually see it on the screen until then it's a nice idea.
0: (laughs) That's right. That's right. Because you've had lots of, lots of, uh, your stuff has been option, um, for TV and film. Um, and, uh, you know, you've worked on video games, audio stuff. I mean, you've worked on in all these different mediums. So you kind of know that, um, yeah, having something optioned, it doesn't necessarily mean that it will make it to the screen, but uh, fingers crossed, right?
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Well, um, I would love to dig into your productivity because you are a prolific, prolific writer. Um, I imagine that you're probably already sketching the uh, next in the series for... Uh, yes, Absolutely. And uh, you still have this uh, Hugo award-winning blog. Um, you know, you kind of, uh, you're constantly reaching out and, and letting people know what you're up to, which is really cool. So how do you, I mean, I just, I want to know how you do it. How, how much time per day, <laughs> you know, um, are you like putting stuff in, like researching or reading, you know, um, kind of uh, the input part of, of the creative process?
1: Well, the the funny thing is that um, that part of it, the intake part, is just uh, is indistinguishable um, to anybody uh, who is observing from the outside uh, from farting around. Right. Like uh, I will be on the Internet just reading articles or, you know, reading, uh, you know, Wikipedia or Encyclopedia Botanica entries or just just reading and uh, tooling around, and it looks like there's nothing going on. But each of those things feeds into the ideas that can cultivate in your head. I've always been a reader. I've always been uh, constantly with a book or a magazine or a newspaper. I used to joke that if you someone wanted to assassinate me, they would put a bomb under a book on a, on a <laughs> coffee table because that's where I would gravitate. It's like, oh, look, there's a book. <clears throat> Off we go. You know, It doesn't look like work. It doesn't look like my brain is working. It looks like what I'm doing is just, you know, sitting around reading. Uh, but in fact, all of that kind of goes into the pot. Uh, and it's not just reading, you know, watching TV. Obviously, Red Shirts, which is a commentary about the uh, poor, uh, you know, the poor Star uh, starship uh, extras that go down to the planet with Kirk and Spock and you know, Scotty, and somebody has to die, and it's gonna not going to be Kirk and Spock and Scotty because they have you know season long contracts. <laughs> uh, you know that was you know something that had been rolling around in my head for years and years. The <laughs> the world you're always researching when you're a writer. You are always looking at things. You're always observing things, uh, and any one part of it can be the thing um, that that hooks you. So in terms of that, I think you know a writer is never not on the job. You're always processing information and you're always you know uh, ideas are always going to present themselves so that aspect of it is you know that's just life that's the writer's that's the writer's life
0: for sure for sure you're incubating stuff all the time uh for future future projects and reference so okay so on a piece like on a uh on a uh, novel like *The Collapsing Empire*, then uh, you know maybe just walk us through like a, a writing day. You know, um, crack your knuckles, brew a pot of coffee. How do you get? How do you get to the desk and get going?
1: The good news is that the desk is like ten steps away from where I sleep, so that's getting there is not the problem. Um, I've had a home office uh, in my house in Bradford, Ohio, where literally every single novel that I've written, with the exception of Agent to the Stars, uh, has been has been uh, at least started and substantially worked upon. Um, and for me, one of the things that I learned uh, early is that I had to have a process. Now, as a background, I'm a super lazy, slothful human being who. Doesn't want to have to do anything more than he has to do, um, and so having a process makes me feel resentful and angry. You know, like like how dare how dare the world require me to uh, you know structure my life in any sort of way that wasn't part of the deal. Uh, but it turns out that if you are a lazy slothful person like I am, um, you can spend hours and hours and hours being on Twitter or you know watching TV or doing something else and not actually getting any work done. So um, the system that I use basically is pretty simple, which is between the hours of 8 a.m. in the morning until noon, which are prime creative time because I've just woken up, I haven't seen what's going on in the world, uh, and uh, my daughter uh, is off at school and my wife is off at work. Between those hours, I turn off the internet, I turn off the phone, um, and I write. And I write for those four hours, or until I reach about 2,000 words, uh, which is kind of my daily quota, which is based on the fact that I used to be a journalist, so I'm used to writing quickly, and it's speed and relatively clean copy. Um, If I get to the 2,000 words before the end of the four hours, then I'll usually kind of uh, find a a reasonable stopping point um, and then quit for the day. And if I get to noon and I don't have 2,000 words, that's basically telling me, well your brain's thinking about other stuff. But the point being um, that four hours a day of writing or 2,000 words a day of writing is enough that I feel like I'm making good, substantial, useful progress, but at the same time doesn't make me feel like my brain is going to explode. When I started writing many (laughs) years ago, um, I would write 8,000 words at a time and then I would be like, all right, now I'm going to take a week off and then I'll write another 8,000 words. Um, And I found as I got older, um, I couldn't do that anymore. Just like, uh, uh, you know, you find in your thirties and forties that, you know, you can't do the, uh, athletic things that you did in your, your twenties. Uh, and you know, no matter how much you want to try, your knees will give out one way or another, mm-hmm. um, by the same sort of way. Um, I wasn't recovering as quickly from writing 8,000 words at a, at a, at a spot, you know, I would instead of taking three or four days to get back to it, I would take a week or two weeks. Um, and that became untenable because as, as we know, um, <laughs> 13 book contract, then every book has to be in in 10 years. I actually do have a, I'm, I, I'm on a, you know, a rodent wheel and I do have to get them out. So I had to get a process where I got enough where I got done, but my brain still felt fresh enough that it could keep doing in the background uh, all the plot, thinking, and character issues, and everything else, so that when it came to it the next day, I could get back on the get back on the wheel and and keep going. So that's my process: uh, four hours a day, two thousand words a day. And I should say that that is the ideal process. <laughs> for some, if for some reason or another, I actually do was like, oh well, I'll just check to see what happened on Twitter. Poof, I'm yeah. done for the day. Because especially in the last year or so i'm i'm sure you know this it's become um kind of an interesting place
0: <laughs> <laughs> a little distracting We could say. a
1: little distracting the, the world has has caught up with twitter in uh, oh, oh so many ways or facebook or my blog or checking my email um and you know and that becomes a it really does become a real issue the whole idea of you have to work not to distract yourself. And especially these days where it feels like you need to be up on everything because the world could end today. (laughs) Um, It almost feels like just blocking off four hours where you're not going to talk to the world almost feels selfish. Uh, And there's no logic or rationality to it. But, um, and it's not just me. A lot of writers I know have just been, uh, you know, I dread going on to um, the internet but I can't help it. I feel like I need, that there's something I should be doing. And and Twitter, as, as always has been, um, makes a really good substitute for doing something. It's like, oh, I'm going to write that 140 character <laughs> tweet that's really going to bring him down now. Um, and right. so you have to be careful. You really have to say to yourself, no, it's okay to make the time to do the thing that I'm actually supposed to be doing with my life, which is creating yeah
0: yeah for sure well it seems to be working for you this process you know and I think so much of your work is cinematic in scope um, I kind of imagine you with headphones on listening to you know some sort of uh, uh, soundtrack music do you, do you like to listen to music while you write or do you prefer quiet
1: I usually prefer quiet because um, as a recurring theme in my life I'm super easily distractible um mm. And so, when I was younger, I would be able to listen to music, which would be kind of white noise in the background. Um, but these days it's it's harder for me to do. I will listen to music um, when I am doing a lot of process stuff. Um, so uh, for example, when I'm um, you know researching or answering emails or talking to uh, people about stuff, you know in an electronic way, um I will put on. Uh, music that I'm familiar with or music that uh, doesn't uh, doesn't really distract me. Like, for example, when I do the daily answer the whole wadge of email thing um, or uh, put up a big idea piece on the blog, which are uh, pieces that other authors write about their new books, uh, I will put on uh, standards from the 40s, 50s, and 60s, like Frank Sinatra, mm. uh, Peggy Lee, Tony Bennett. Uh, uh, Ella Fitzgerald, that sort of stuff, because it's like the great American soundtrack. You you know all the songs, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, it's very pleasant and and helps uh, what can be sort of a mechanical thing just uh, just go along in a in a in a very efficient way. Uh, I will listen to a lot of music as sort of intake during creative stuff, uh, like imagining, um, because I find that that can be helpful. At one time. Uh, wrote a uh, entire outline for a, um, a YA series that I was going to do for a publisher to the album Fast Times at Barrington High by the Academy Is because it was, it was about 2008. It was what the kids were listening to those days, aside from the fact that I really liked the album itself. Um, and also it kind of helped put me in the mind space of, you know, I'm 17 years old and the world's going to end Uh, how do I deal with it? Um, so that can be really useful when you are trying to get yourself into a specific mindset. Um, but when it comes down to actually sitting there and writing, um, I usually leave it aside because otherwise my brain will spend all its time, uh, actually paying attention to the lyrics or, you know, or some other aspect of the music and not focusing on the writing itself.
0: Yeah. 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 Um all right well here's the million dollar question do you uh believe in writer's block or do you have any feeling about it at
1: all my answer to that is uh i don't believe in writer's block as in the ability or the inability to uh write anything i do believe in the ability of writers to psych themselves out um and i can use myself as an example um uh, the hardest thing for me to do is Start a book. Once I start it, once I am, you know, chugging along, uh, I can I can write super quickly, I can get through everything, I solve all my problems that I want to solve. But getting to the point where I start, where I actually sit down, I'm like, all right, now I actually am gonna do this thing, um, is something that again and again I've, I've had a problem with. I, and so I will check my email for the thousandth time. I will, you know, I will go on Twitter. I'll do social media. I will run those errands um, that I was supposed to have done three months ago. Whatever it is, aside from actually starting the book. And then so in some ways, like I can write a book fairly quickly, Redshirts, which won the, the Hugo, um, from start to finish was five weeks. Um, as, as, as an example. But um, I can spend an equal amount of time or more not starting the book. Like I have, this is the time that I've allocated, um, you know, April, March, May, June. And I actually start writing somewhere in May because the rest of it, you know, you can make all the excuses you want or I'm letting it develop in my brain or, you know, there are other things that I need to do or, Oh, look, I have this, uh, piece that I need to write for the LA Times, or whatever it is um, that that can distract you from it. Um, and I don't think of that as writer's block. Um, I don't, because I, it's not a question of me and the confidence of, will the words come? I know the words are going to come. Uh, but for me, it is it is more of my usual, but particular set of writing anxieties. Um, and, uh, and the way, again, to eventually get over that for me was in Again, just decide you. It's time for you to say goodbye to the world. Go ahead and get, um, get along. Now, <laughs> with that said, I think it's really important to say that every writer experience is an individual writing experience. And I think to some extent, the, the, the question, do you believe in writer's block, um, can be, I don't believe in it for myself, but I believe it's possible for others, you know, because I'm not in the head of other writers Uh, writers are bless our hearts we are so neurotic in so many different (laughs) ways and the way that that neuroses can manifest uh can absolutely be the inability to write or the inability to write what we decide is actually worth reading or sharing with people i think it's easy for writers to be arrogant about uh other writers processes do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I don't have a problem with writer's block, and I don't see why any other writer should have a problem with writer's block. Sure. Um, and and the uh, and the response to that is, yeah, but you're not that other writer. You know, there are lots of ways for writers to not write. Uh, <laughs> you know, my 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 not writing ticks are fortunately fairly benign. It's just the, uh, I gotta start this thing. Uh, whereas other people are. I my electricity is about to go out, or I have to care for a parent with dementia, or I have a special needs child, or you know the world is blowing up, and I'm you know gay or lesbian and trans, and I thought I was safe, and I no longer feel safe. Um, there are so many ways the world can intrude. There are so many ways for humans, not just writers, but humans to Get off the track that allows them to do their work in the way they're supposed to do it, or the way that they feel that they should do it. Um, you know, in some ways, it's a miracle we do anything at all instead of just running around. You know, like our hair is on fire. Um, so, in that respect, um, you know, uh, it's easy for me to say uh, I don't have writer's block, but I am also—you said it—New York Times Hugo Award-winning author with a contract that means that I don't have to worry about being published. Or you know, or that I won't be published for ten years. It's easy for me not to have writer's block, um, and I would be foolish if I didn't acknowledge that and that I am in a in a special position where uh, the worst thing that I have to think about is how long it takes me to start.
0: Some great great thoughts there, and you know, I mean, I, all I can come back to is that it seems like now <laughs> more than ever at any time in history we do need these uh great stories don't we we need great storytellers like yourself uh, to help us through <laughs> thanks so much for joining me for this half of a tour through the writer's process if you enjoy the writer files podcast please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review on itunes to help other writers find us for more episodes or to just leave a comment or a question you can drop by writerfiles.fm and you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week.